Acts chapter 2, verse 1, which we've been reading this passage every week. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance or expression. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd or the multitude came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the districts of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, What does this mean? Verse 14, But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, now I'm going to skip a bit here, declared to them, he says some things, but I'm going to skip ahead to verse 16. This is part of his declaration. Uh, He raised his voice and declared to them, This is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit and they shall prophesy. Now, Peter declares at this point how Jesus came and uh, lived like no other person ever had. He suffered, he died, and was resurrected. And then the story continues, the account continues in verse 33, after Peter preaches Christ. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit... He has poured forth this which you both see and hear. Again, skip to verse 38. And Peter said to them, after they say, what do we have to do about this? How do we respond? Peter said to them, repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, Peter says. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. Skip to verse 41. So then, those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all, as anyone might have need, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. 
They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. God, thank you for your word. Write it on our hearts, God. Some 600 to 800 years before Jesus walked to the earth, the prophet Joel, um, whose ministry spanned a couple of uh, kings, and he's really, it's a very short book in the Old Testament, but a a powerful one. Uh, The prophet Joel announced prophetically that God would pour forth his spirit on all mankind. Now that would be quite a prophecy to be spoken in this very uh, sort of insulated, uh, ethnocentric religious community. God's going to pour forth of his spirit on all mankind. Some probably thought, "Eh, that's going too far. Even though, really, that's something God speaks about from early on in the Bible. You remember the covenant made with Abraham in your seed all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's a similar thing. I'm going to pour forth my spirit on all mankind, on all the families of the earth. It doesn't mean on every person regardless of their behavior or beliefs. Just in case there's any doubt, this is not a universalist um, verse that just says, ah, basically, to be okay with God, you just have to die. And, you know... When, when we go, then, oh, it's all, you know, we're in a better place. We're all going to be okay in the end. God will go, it's all right. No, that's not what this means, all human beings. It means all mankind in the way that it is in Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, where it says, people from, people from every tribe and tongue and people group and nation, he purchased with his blood. And made to be a kingdom. It's the same as in there. As in Psalm 86.9. Which says. All nations you have made. Will come and worship before you. O Lord. It doesn't mean every person. From every one of those nations. Will worship before you. But people representing every nation. That you've made. Will come and worship. There will be representatives. From every Not just every nation as in Canada, but how many nations are within Canada? Or in some places, some countries where, you know, they've got this tribe and that tribe and this nation and that nation. We've got that in Canada. We've got, I don't even know the number of First Nations people we've got, but there will be representatives from all of them. Because God's reaching out. All, all of these tribes, all of these people groups will be represented before the throne of God. This is why Jesus told his disciples in Acts 1.8, You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses here in Jerusalem and all Judea. And Samaria, our, this neighboring country, and to the remotest part of the earth. The remotest place of the earth, like Canada's north. Man, that's got to be like the remotest, but you know, in some of these little hamlets in northern Canada where, you know, parts of the year, 
Nobody's going in there or out of there. They're isolated. Parts of Siberia would be like that. Uh, I, I took a flight only once to Asia, and we went through some Russian airspace. And Man, I was looking out, and it was just like snow-covered mountains forever. I mean, it just went on and on and on and on. It was the remotest part of the earth. I don't know if there's any people living there, but places, if there is somebody, God's interested in them there. What about places like the Hawaiian Islands? When you look on a map, I mean, you know, I think of Hawaii as a beautiful destination holiday place. But, you know, a couple hundred years ago, that was just a few little islands in the middle of a big ocean. I mean, there's, you look on the map, yeah, there's nothing around there. It's a long ways. They, that's a remote part of the earth. And God has said, you're going to be my witnesses there in the remotest parts of the earth. Every remote people and tribe will be represented before the throne of God, along with representatives from every major place, from London and places like New York and these kind of places that are well-known around the world. Well, the the people in these uh, little-known spots in Greenland are going to be represented there as well, all glorifying the one whose blood purchased them to be God's people. Praise God. His, he will have, God will have one people forever. One people. I mean, it, it even says in Revelation, it talks about nations. They're, the nations are represented, and I don't know what the distinction, how that's going to be, you know, like we'll, you know, what, how will we recognize the, you know, the distinction? Because here it's, a lot of it is visible, you know, it's visual. We see people with dark skin and light skin and, you know, people with different kind of hair and, you know, these, some with hair, uh, different kinds of things. But there's all kinds of distinctions that are physical. I don't know what it'll be in heaven, but there will be some kind of distinctions because it even talks about the wealth of nations will come in and all the nations gathered before God. So there'll be some kind of distinction, but one people, the people of God, this That is what God has been leading everything toward for all of history. A beautiful, multifaceted, colorful, heterogeneous, truly diverse, but divinely unified people. Man, that sounds sounds glorious. The world talks about wanting that, but is incapable of accomplishing it. A glorious, sanctified people that's set apart. A holy race, it says in 1 Peter a holy nation or a holy race set apart for God and with him forever in covenant and close loving relationship with him forever. That's, that's God's desire. That can, we can keep going on that forever. This is what God has been after. Now, something gloriously new for the world began on the day of Pentecost. That up to that point, the, the people of Israel, largely, they, they, their religion was largely ethnocentric. This is for us. Even though, again, there are prophecies about 
on the, about other people. God says in Isaiah, for me to redeem and restore my people Israel is too small a thing for me. I'm going to be a light to the Gentiles. But somehow that got lost because largely the people of Israel were not interested in those unclean Gentiles on the outside. Now, of course, God always had a remnant, always a remnant that reads those things and could see. But on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit came down, and now, all of a sudden, it says there were, in that time, people, Jews, in Jerusalem from, it says, every nation under heaven. Now, that's probably a bit of hyperbole, but when it says it in Revelation, it's not hyperbole. It's not exaggeration. What it meant was just, man, there were people, a diverse group of people. They're there from all these nations. It says at least 15 different nations from southeastern uh, Europe and the northern part of the Middle East and probably uh, east of them in the Middle East and into North Africa, uh, Libya and some of these nations, Cyrene, some of these places and of course all through what would be called Palestine today, that area. All of these people were there on the day of Pentecost and God's speaking the mighty works of God to them. They're all saying, wow, we're hearing of the mighty works of God in the language that we were born to. And so God has started now that that, um, mission to reach the whole world has now begun as the Holy Spirit has filled the fledgling, this fledgling church of about 120 people, uh, wherever they were in the temple or the upper room in the kingdom of God, the doors, the gates are now opened wide. It's like something is taking place to... The, the reality of bringing in people from the outside world has now, that day has dawned at Pentecost. Jesus died to save the world, right? Not just Israel. He died to save the world. And the Holy Spirit is now the voice that's carrying that glorious news uh, out to the globe. He's begun it on that day and they only see a glimpse of it, but it's starting. Jew and Gentile alike are coming to God through faith in Christ. And the same Holy Spirit who makes the message of forgiveness and eternal life real to these Jews on that day is the same Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit who lives in us. The Spirit who landed on Peter and John and James and those guys on the day of Pentecost. This is kind of staggering. He's the same Holy Spirit that's living in you. The same one. The very Spirit of God. That's, I mean, that's incredible. That was just 2,000 years ago. But he was actually around, and I know I touched on this last week, he was actually around however many years ago that was when he was hovering over the face of the deep and God said, let there be light. And the Holy Spirit went into action and all of a sudden there the 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 creation began the holy spirit was there that same holy spirit is now living in us who've received christ but i'm telling you that's that really if if we got that it would be life changing for us that same spirit is actually living in us he comes to to take up residence to continue to affirm us as children of god and assure us of our salvation 
Anybody need some assurance of their salvation every now and then? You sort of waver a little bit. Yeah. It's too easy sometimes to, to, to need a person to do that. I mean a human. And when you think of it, the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of God, who it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, knows the deep things of God. That same Spirit dwells in us. So he can speak and say, you know, Ian, don't worry about it. You're mine. You belong to the Father. He can do that. He can speak in a way that no person could convince us in the way that he can. That's it. He affirms us and assures us that we belong to God. We're God's children, related to him forever, and related to each other forever. That's right, forever. You're going to have to put up with me forever. Look at the person next to you for just a second. (laughs) If they've received Christ, you're going to be with them a thousand years from now. Yeah. And, and 10,000 years after that. And a billion. Try to smile and look excited. <laughs> yeah, just yesterday, actually, Sophie brought me a meme of a young Christian evangelist. And it said... He's being very selective about who he converts because he realizes he's going to have to be with them for eternity. So, <laughs> you know. Um, but God is drawing nations and tribes to himself that'll be with him forever. He's doing that. In the last couple of years, divisions have widened and deepened. Anybody notice that? Honestly, the fruit of these, I don't even want to say the fruit of the pandemic, but the fruit of whatever it is that's been going on for the last two and a half years, a big part of it is division. Division and divide between people, it's, it's widened and deepened, and people are more entrenched against each other in many things. Division has been a, one of the most, I would say, one of the most damaging aspects of the last two years. And honestly, the devil loves it. Divide people. Separate people. That's been part of his game forever, from forever. Cain and Abel offer sacrifices. And here's, you know, here's Cain. He's jealous of his brother. And God even says to him, man, sin is crouching at the door. It's ready to get you. You must resist it, master it. You don't need to, but he couldn't. He's out in the field. You know, it's incredible to me. That was the second generation on the planet. Murder in the very, you know, the second generation. Like, already. Like, that happened pretty quickly. And here's this thing of dividing people. And it's, it's deepened and widened. You know, follow the science. No, follow our science, you moron. Our science is better. Our data is better. This kind of thing. You're a science denier. You know, conspiracy theorist. That's hate speech. That's misinformation. Oh, yeah? Yours is disinformation. Like, you know, it's, it's really fear and division 
have infected as many people, more actually, I think, than this virus. Division and fear have infected and harmed as many people as COVID, probably more. And the world doesn't have answers. The world doesn't have answers for it. They can say things, but are, they're incapable of carrying out meaningful ideas, ideals. But the Holy Spirit can do what the world can't. He can do, because how? He goes to the very core of who we are. He doesn't just have to deal with our minds, because our minds are, you know, full of some stuff, you know, that isn't all good. Amen? Uh, it's not just me. Um, the world decries, <laughs> the world decries racism. But despite all the noise over the last two years, things are worse. Things are worse. There's stuff going on now. And that's not new to us. In Acts chapter 6, there is this conflict. It's the first conflict recorded after the Holy Spirit comes in the new church. Acts chapter 6, what was it? Well, they have some kind of program for feeding the widows. And, and a complaint comes that the Greek, they're Jewish, but they're of Greek descent. The, the Greek-born uh, Jewish widows are being neglected in this thing, unlike the native Israelite uh, widows. They're being taken care of. The complaint comes, and instead of, you know, some human, humanistic kind of solution, what happens? The, the apostles say, listen, we're not going to neglect prayer and the preaching and study of God's word to serve tables. So, I want you to appoint six people who are people of standing and character, and I like this, filled with the Holy Spirit. Choose some of these kind of people. And, you know, one of them was Stephen. Like this guy, like the first martyr. This guy, you know, he's, he was not just, okay. It's funny that Peter says, we're not going to give up prayer and the preaching of the word to serve tables. Let's get Stephen. <laughs> that guy goes out. He preaches the word. He's seeing healings take place. He's converting everything that moves. It's like Stephen is outstanding. And that's their, that's their head waiter. Uh, yes, uh, that'll be fries with that. Like, I mean, this is Stephen. What a guy. And he's, he's the first martyr. They got powerful people full of the Holy Spirit who could actually address the issue. And you don't hear another thing about that particular uh, issue. Then again, you go on a little bit farther. And in uh, Acts uh, 9, 10, and 11, the gospel starts to spread to other people. There's the Ethiopian eunuch Wow, this is quite a thing. This guy asks for it, and Philip leads him to Christ, baptizes him, and he's a high-ranking official on his way back to Ethiopia, which they say probably the region, he was considered Ethiopian, but the region he came from was probably what would be modern-day Sudan. So this guy's going back. This is not a uh, he, he's there reading the Jewish scriptures, but now he comes to Christ and he goes back. And what do you think happened? A high-ranking official. I mean, God's brilliant. Send that guy back and he influences other people. And then you see this other guy, Cornelius, says he's of the Italian cohort. And here this guy gets a vision. Peter comes. 
all of his friends and family get saved. All of a sudden, people from other cultures are starting to come to Christ, and this is happening. And what, what takes place? People of nations and ethnicities, and there's some friction, and there's some discomfort about how to manage the new demographics and the new cultural diversity. There, it, cultural diversity raises questions and considerations about customs and practices of faith. It's like, okay, well, which part of this then is essential to the gospel and which parts are sort of our cultural, you know, add-ons, things that we've done because that worked here in our culture or something. And they had to do that. What's essential well, the Holy Spirit had the answers, and he starts meeting them. He starts getting, they have a council, and they come to a realization. Peter says, hey, I got this vision. Don't call unclean what God has called clean and set apart for himself. Don't do that. Do You know, early Christian missionaries in Hawaii, I mentioned it earlier, they were effective, and you can see uh, all over Hawaii um, uh, evidence of churches that were established and um, a King Kamehameha, his, uh, one of his wives, his most influential wife, got saved and influenced the nation. And I'd heard that years ago. The gospel spread in Hawaii. But one thing that apparently the, the, some of the early missionaries did was they tried to force the islanders to adopt um, more Western and uh, European forms of dress including neckties. Now, I think it's funny. You go to Hawaii, and I mean, you know, hey, I'm a Canadian boy, and when we've gone to Hawaii, I come back, and I love the feel of the air here. It's dry, and it's just, oh, man, it feels good to me. I'm not used to that kind of humidity, but it's beautiful, and there is no way that the kinds of things that people in Europe would be wearing that they're going to wear in Hawaii, like neckties, as if that were central to salvation. Really? A necktie? Oh, yes. Jesus' death on the cross to pay for our sins. His resurrection from the dead. His exaltation to the throne of, of God, to the right hand of God, where he is handed a crown of glory, a staff of authority, and a beautiful Italian-made necktie. Like, come on, a necktie. That's not, there's, it's like, and at some point, I guess they got it right because the islanders, you know, were people who came to, to Christ but didn't need to be doing that. You know, that, that just was not part of the gospel. But here's God. He's, he's got answers. He's got solutions, even though we might feel some discomfort. We don't know quite what the boundaries are for the gospel and culture, those kinds of things. But God does. And all of those nations that are going to get represented, God is sifting out the stuff that is not essential to the gospel. And the Holy Spirit's got answers and solutions. And he's bringing it because he loves them that much that he's still sending people. Again, I know I talked before about Hudson Taylor, but when he went to China, he was ostracized from other Western missionaries because he didn't want to stay in Shanghai and wait for the nation of China to come to him on the 
very edge of China. He said, that's why it was called the China Inland Mission. He said, let's go in where no white man's ever gone. Let's go reach him with the gospel. And he had something, Hudson Taylor, when he was young, he had some kind of a statistic he realized, and I forget what the number was, but even back in the later part of the 19th century, he had a number, something like 10,000 people a day in China are dying just because of the size of it. He said 10,000 a day are dying and they've never even heard the gospel. And he said, I've got to change that. We've got to change that. And so I'm going in. I'm not going to be on the outskirts and wait for them to come. I'm going to reach them where they are. I'm going to go get them, people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And that's what, that's God's solution. And he sent him in. Were there some cultural things that he had to learn? Yep, he says he did. There was upheaval. There was some violence. There were things like that. Both directions. The Christians shunned him because of his practices of being reaching out to them. And in some cases, the people that he went to to reach they shunned him because he was still culturally an outsider all of that to say the spirit of god has ways has answers to to unify and bring about one people of god he's after it he's 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 he will not relent he's doing it i want to be part of that And I recognize I don't have a lot of answers, but it's like without the Holy Spirit, I'm really lost. And we can go together. Let's let's do it. Let's say, Spirit of God, fill me up and use me as part of your one people. And I did intend to, to, you know, the the word speaks to us. And I had something in mind. And in, in the week after next, next week, Kevin Kavanaugh is here. Two weeks from now. I'll finish this message because I wanted to speak about unity within the body too, right in here. But as I started doing it, I felt I could not just overlook the reality that God, there's, there's, a, there's a big unity, the nations, that comes even before, like in our little local church that unity there is a oneness in the spirit in ephesians chapter 4 verse 4 it talks about the unity of the spirit and it says strive to keep it work to keep it how many recognize it's going to take some work it takes work because you know my sinful nature it just wants what i want you know, I have to overcome it. I, it takes effort to reach for what the Holy Spirit already has. Strive to keep the unity of the Spirit. It's going to take some more. But for us, we need the Holy Spirit to work for the mission that God has of having one people made up of all the nations and we've got the nations here at our doorstep in Vancouver. And some of us, some of you, God's going to send you. He's going to call you to go places that, in some cases, maybe you wouldn't even really choose it. 
Some of you have a missionary call overseas. And some of you, all of us, have a missionary call, but some, it's here. Some, it's elsewhere. Some, it's in the area of specifically caring for the poor. Others, it might be reaching university students. Others, it might be in the business world. And thank God for that kind of uh, calling. More, 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 more. But God has one people that he's gathering to himself. Will we receive the Holy Spirit and move into what God desires?